Thank you for downloading this podcast from Awakening Church. Lord, you'll find out I'm a big crybaby. Every time I get up to speak, I end up crying, and it's just the way that it is. Um, you know, it is what it is. But um, Ryan and Rebecca, they have been our kids for a long time. I know that they're your pastors, and they're my pastors, but they're also my kids. And um, I have pictures to prove it. I, you know, we, we have go way, way, way back. You know, that, that song that says we got way, way back, we go way, way back. That's how it is with them. And so um, I told the Lord, um, you all probably don't know the full story, but our son was living a life that wasn't pleasing to God. And um, when he came out of that lifestyle, the Lord um, put Ryan and Rebecca in his path again after many, many years. And they took him under his wing, their wing, and they have loved him, and they have ministered to him, and they have mentored him. And I, I told the Lord, I said, how funny is this, that years ago, when they were little, you know, we had them, and and then now they have the opportunity to pour back into our kids and um, our grandson, so who's amazing, by the way, in case you didn't know. Um, so I, I'm just, I'm just over the top grateful for all of that and I'm thankful for awakening and the family that is here and um, let's pray and then we'll get started Lord thank you for today thank you for this day that you knew before the foundation of the earth Lord I thank you for this day I thank you for your word that is alive and that it it breathes and that it moves and it changes us and I'm grateful today and I pray father that your word will be spoken the way you desire, that it will speak to all of our hearts one more time, afresh and anew. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you get to know me at all, you're going to know that I'm a family kind of woman. Like, I'm all about family. I have six other brothers and sisters. I have five living brothers and sisters. I have 12 nieces and nephews, and I have 15 great nieces and nephews, and they all come to our house, and it is an amazing thing. And so um, my dad was a pastor for over 50 years, and uh, he and my mother have served the Lord together for years and years, and we have some traditions in our home. Uh, And so Christmas Eve, we have this tradition. We no longer all are able to be together because we're spread out from literally from Colorado to um, Maryland, uh, Boston, Massachusetts, Massachusetts. And uh, so we no longer get together for the holidays like we used to. But in our home on Christmas Eve, you will find the same meal that I have eaten for 54 years. It is kielbasa. You all know what kielbasa is? It's a sausage. I grew up in Detroit. We like sausage in Detroit. And um, onion rolls. And we have punch that my mother has made for 50 plus years. And um, we have fruit salad. Not just some jacked up fruit salad pieces of fruit that you get from the market on a tray. No, no, no. We make a fruit salad. So those are kind of our traditions. And on Christmas Eve, we, um, one gift, you get to open up one gift, no more, just one. 
because Ryan never could stand the fact that there were wrapped gifts under the tree that had his name on it. He would drive us bananas. And so we were just like, okay, fine, fine. When he was real little, we started letting him open up one gift under the tree. We have lots of traditions. And one thing you'll find when we all gather around, we have lots of stories. We have lots of stories. And they're funny stories, and they're embarrassing stories, and they are God stories. Because when we gather as a family, although sports are important, although public and and politics are important, the most important thing ever in our home was the Word of God. That was That was what it was when my dad could tell you that he would see men come to the altar as alcoholics and get up saved and never take another drink. That's what we were talking about in our home. That those are the stories that we remember. And he would tell us stories of being a pastor and how that, you know, there might be trouble in the church. I know that would never happen at awakening, but you know, that he asked the deacon to get up from the business meeting and go call the police because the man was giving him trouble. He had already decided he was going to knock him out. And so the policeman was standing outside the church because that happens all the time on the streets of Detroit, right, on a Saturday night, that he'd be standing outside of the church. No, he was right there, and he said, well, Reverend, what do you need? Dad said, are you going to sit down or are you going to keep causing me trouble? You know, so those are all the stories. We heard the stories of the healings that would take place. Now, I was raised in a Baptist church. My dad was Baptist all of his life. It didn't stop the healing power of Jesus. He's still the same Jesus. He still has the same power. He still has the same anointing. He still has the same ability to do what he's going to do. It doesn't matter what my history is and what the label over my church name is. He's still the same Jesus. I had somebody, and I think it was Ryan, tell me at dad's funeral, he's the most Pentecostal man I ever knew, and I didn't know him. Like, you know, I, but, from, but from his history, from the stories that were told, he was able to know the power of God in dad's life and in our lives. And when Ryan contacted me this week and said, hey, I'm sailing. Can you speak Sunday? I was a little jealous and a little nervous, right? And so um, the, the scripture came to mind that we're going to talk about today Because I think it's a season that we as a family at Awakening are in. And I think it's real important that we get a hold of this before 2019 knocks on our door. It's already approaching the driveway. And we've got to make sure that this happens in our lives. So if you have your Bible, see I'm old school. If you have your Bible, you know, the one that has the leather front cover and all that, you know, go to Joshua chapter 4. Now, I told you, I am old school. That means I like the Old Testament. When I was little, we learned on flannel graph. All of those under 40 have no clue what flannel graph is. All of those over 40, we are very familiar with flannel graph. If you don't know what it is, raise your hand. Flannel graph. Okay. Flannel graph, you would take a piece of flannel material, and there were little characters cut out, and our Sunday school teachers would put the little characters up on the board and teach us the Bible stories from the Old Testament. See, we don't, you may not even know, do you know what Sunday school is? I'm just saying, 
okay? Those were some foundational things for us, but we learned the Old Testament. Listen, if you haven't read the Old Testament, I've got news for you. It's the most exciting book on the planet. It has murder. You like, you like mysteries, right? It has murder. It has violence galore. I mean, you know, we're a violent society, right? So people should be reading the Old Testament because there's all kinds of stuff. There was miracles like you have never heard. There were obscure people in odd places that heard from God and changed the nation. If you're not reading the Old Testament, this week you have a challenge. Joshua 1 through 4. You need to read those chapters this week. It is an amazing story. So Joshua is the successor of Moses. How many of y'all know who Moses was, right? Okay, Moses, what do you know him for? The crossing of the Red Sea, right? Isn't that the big one? You know, because it's in the Ten Commandments movie, you know, with, you know that old guy, whatever his name was. And so, you you know, the, the waters parted. But then there was Joshua. Joshua is known for Jericho, the wall coming down. Exactly. Except there's something that happens in between the Red Sea with Moses and Joshua and the wall. It's called the Jordan. And I believe we are in a time of transition. And that's what the Jordan represented for the children of Israel. It was a time of transition. We as a body of Christ in general across the world are in a time of transition. We need to be very attentive to what is happening because the outcome can go bad or the outcome can go good. And it's going to be based on what happens at the transition. So we need to be very, pay very close attention. Now, what happens, I'm going to tell you the story in general because I don't have time to read all that to you. Moses dies. He is the great leader. Like there is nobody like Moses. He dies. And, but he was a smart man and he prepared his successor into Joshua. He had taught him, he had trained him, he had brought him up, had everything, every place that Moses went, Joshua went with him. So, so Joshua didn't miss it. He knew how to interact with God and how to lead these people. So he goes, and the very first assignment that Joshua has is take these two and a half million people across the Jordan, which happens to be flooded, and take them to the other side because you're going to your promised land. See, God had promised the Israelites their promised land years ago. They just hadn't seen it. You have something that God's promised you, you just have not seen it, right? There is a transition time that happens before you get there that you need to be aware of. And this is what happens with the children of Israel. And so God comes to, to Joshua and he says, look, Moses is dead. Get over it. Okay, he's dead. He's gone. Life is not going to be like that anymore. And you need to step up, take your place as the leader, and let's go for this thing. So Joshua says, okay. He, he does all that God commands him to do. And he tells the priest to cross over first. And when their feet touch the water, the water moves and it backs up and it goes up and it goes down and it goes dry, but only as they keep stepping, only as they keep walking, only as they keep obeying 
God, right? So they get to it, and then all the people start across. Two and a half million people is what the estimate is. Now, I don't know about you, but I cannot wrap my mind around that number. So I started Googling because that's what we do now, right? So I'm like, okay, God, how long did it take them? How many people were there first? Two and a half million, approximately. Okay, God, well, Google, not God, but okay, Google. So how many, how long did it take this? 29 days is the estimate. 29 days. When God tells you to do something, don't you think it's just going to take a minute? Like, okay, God, all right, we're going to be brave. We're going to step out. The water's going to cease, and then we're going to walk across. Okay, we got that. But those priests had to stand there 29 days. Long time. So let's look at what happens. He says to them, now, once everybody gets over, I want you to pull 12 men back because, you know, there were 12 tribes of Israel, one from every tribe. I want you to pull them back, and they're to get a stone from where the priests are standing, and then they're to build an altar, a a significant monument with these 12 stones for the purpose of when your children ask what this stands for, you need to tell them what God did. I have news for you. We need to be telling our children what God did, what God is doing, what God is going to do. You see, he was taking them someplace. Where are you going as a family? What's happening to you as a family? Where have you been and where are you now and where are you going as a family? Where are we as a family going, right? So he tells them, stand there, priests, until these men go get the 12 stones, build this thing. We're going to come back. We're going to build another one. And then, okay, priest, you can come out. And then everybody's on the other side. Isn't that a great story? It's a wonderful story from the back side. But from the front side, I got to tell you, if somebody tells me to walk into the water that has flooded its banks, I'm going to have a problem if it's just somebody telling me. But we're going to see that it wasn't just somebody telling them. So I started talking to the Lord about those 12 stones. And I believe that there are some principles that they learned in those 12 stones that are going to help them transition and go to their promised land. Let's read Joshua 4, 1 through 8 so that you'll know I didn't just make that up. Out of the New King James is where I'm reading from. I really was tempted to do the Old King James because that's what I grew up on and that's what I normally preach out of because I'm old, okay? Just putting it out there for you. But I'm doing the New King James. I would have done something else, but I like this. It says, And it came to pass when all the people had completely passed, crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, And command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from whom had been appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. 
And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Whew, I love that verse. Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so just as Joshua commanded and took 12 stones from the midst of the Jordan. As the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and there they are to this day. It's important to know the word. It's important to read the word for yourself. Don't just believe what somebody tells you from a pulpit because you need to know the word. You're going to answer for the word yourself. You're not going to answer for what they said. So I'm just encouraging you, bring your Bible if you don't have your Bible, you can look on the screen. And I love the fact that we put it up there. You don't just have to guess at what the word says. Okay, back to the 12 stones. That was just a little sidebar in case anybody was interested. <laughs> I think there was more than meets the eye to the 12 stones. And I believe that there were some lessons. I believe the first stone reminds us that times change, but God does not. I listen, your life is going to change. It's going to have seasons. I know that's a negative word sometimes, but it's going to have transitions. It's going to have chapters. It's going to have verses. It's going to have books, however you want to put it. But my life today does not look like it did five years ago. My life tomorrow may not look like it does today. Times are going to change. God does not. He says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I do not change. My promises are yes and amen. What I've told you, I've told you. What I've promised you, I've promised you. And I don't care how your life looks today, he will fulfill his promise. So times change. God does not. You see, if they hadn't learned that in the Jordan what you have to remember, I forgot to tell you this, is that the generation before them was gone. They See, they didn't see the Red Sea part. This was a whole new group of people. They hadn't seen that. They didn't know that. This was all new to them. God moving like this was completely new to them. So they had to know that God was the same. No matter, no matter that they were on this side of the river today and that side of the river next month. Literally. <laughs> so that's, and that you can find in Joshua 1-2. The second stone says God's promises, what he promises, he will deliver. He will give you everything that he promised. See, he told them in Joshua verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, he tells them exactly. He said, as I promised it to Moses, you're going to get it. It's for you. It's for your children. It's for your children's children. It is for you. I promised you that. I am not a man that I should lie. I promised it to you. You will have it. 
no matter what it looks like, no matter that dad's gone, no matter that, that your children, you haven't seen them yet, I promised it to you. The promised land, I promised it to you. I gave it to you already. It's just yours to possess. Stone 3, Joshua 3, 5. Say what you want to, but holiness still matters. Holiness matters, folks. I've got news for you. The culture is going to tell you all kinds of stuff. God's word preaches holiness. It tells you how to live a holy lifestyle. Everything is not acceptable. Everything is not pleasing to God. You can't live just any old way that you want to. He told them to sanctify themselves. Let's see, that's an old word we don't use anymore. Sanctify yourself. It means straighten yourself up and set yourself apart. That's what sanctification means. Set yourself apart. That means you don't look like the world looks. I don't see you out partying. I don't see you out living a lifestyle one way on Saturday and see you living another lifestyle on Sunday. Now, I'm not the pastor. I'm not going there. I'm just going to tell you, holiness matters. My dad told an evangelist once, you can feed them, I'll shear them. So I'm going to, I'm going to remember that. <laughs> number, stone number four, uh, Joshua 1.11, preparation is key to receiving your promise. You see, there were some things that they had to do in order to be able to cross a river. It's different crossing a river than it is hiking a mountain or going through a desert. There are things, if I'm going to possess the promise of God in my life, I've got to prepare for them. I've got to make room for them. I've got to clear some things out and then move some things in. I've got to change how I handle the load. Right. See, if you, if, if you think you can carry it by yourself, you are incorrect. There is some preparation that has to be made. Jonathan and Kareth are getting ready to have a baby. There is preparation that has to be made for that. There's room that has to be made. There is equipment that has to be made. I'm going to ask you today, what preparation do you need to make in order to possess the promise that God has given you? Maybe you haven't possessed it because you're not prepared. And if you're not prepared, how can you possess it? How can you take hold of what God is promising you and has promised you if you're not prepared? Listen, I'm telling you, preparation is key. He told them, he said, go through the camp, and tomorrow God's going to do great wonders for you. It took him about three days. He said, prepare, prepare, pack up your tent, do what you got to do, but prepare because we're moving we're going somewhere. God's given it to us. We're doing it. Stone 5, Joshua 3, 9. God's word isn't just for the leader. Go to Joshua 3, 9. I love this. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. You got to hear him for yourself. You got to hear what God says to you. You've got to hear it for yourself. It's not just for the man or the woman that stands in the pulpit. 
You can't live your life. You will be malnourished. <laughs> you, I'm telling you, you will die of starvation. Have, have, have you listened to anybody lately? You're going to die of starvation if that's all you're listening to. You better get a word from the Lord for yourself. You better know what God's word says for yourself. See, this was their promised land. It wasn't just Moses' promised land. It wasn't Joshua's promised land. It was the children of Israel's promised land. This was where God was taking them. See, if it was just for Moses and Joshua, they could have crossed on their own and been done. You think leading 2.5 million people? I can't lead 2.5 people. What are you talking about? So 2.5 million people, this was their land. They needed to hear from God. Joshua said, you come and hear what God has to say. You come and hear what he's going to tell you. Because this is going to be illogical instruction. Illogical. You need to know for yourself what God says. Stone number six out of Joshua 3.10, there's no giant that's bigger than God. I'm telling you, when I read that passage of Scripture, you know, here's how most pe- preachers preach this. Yeah, and, and listen, I've done it myself, so I'm not like, I'm, I'm not insulting them because I get tired of reading the names, right? So the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, you know, all the, all the ites, right? That's how we read that scripture and we keep going. The Lord made me stop and read those names and then Google what they meant, right? Let me tell you, God said to them, these giants, you will not face them. You won't have to deal with them. Well, what are they? Well, the Canaanites are a financial giant of humiliation, The Hittites are terror, fear, confusion, and discouragement. Anybody been discouraged? Anybody had any fear? Anybody had any terror? I got news for you. They're not too big for our God. How about the Hivites, the tempters of the good life? Just do what feels good. Just do, listen, don't nobody show up anyway, so you don't even need to be there early. It don't matter. Hey, listen, they can set up that place by themselves. I don't even need to be doing all that, right? How about the parasites? Jesus' name, I'm sorry, Ryan. I I promise not to shear. No discipline or boundaries or restrictions. No discipline, boundaries, or restrictions. Just live any life you want to do. How about the uh, Gergesites? To return to the old ways and the old mindsets. How about that? Is God bigger than your old mindset? Is God bigger than your old ways? Are you willing to trust him for the new way? Are you willing to trust him for a fresh word? Are you willing for him not to do it the same old way that he's always done it? Is he or is he not big enough? How about the Amorites, prideful, arrogant, and critical? Listen, that's easy. That's easy stuff for us to fall into as human beings, to be critical to be arrogant, to be prideful. We can do it on our own. I don't need any help. I got this, right? God says, I'm bigger than that. How about the Jebusites, immoral persuaders? How about those? Listen, he says, you won't have to deal with those giants if you'll follow me. I've got this. 
I've got it. I can handle it. It's going to work out for you. I've promised you the land. I know that they said that there are giants in the land. So you have to remember the last report they had of that land was that those giants were so big, there was no way they were taking it. But I've got news for you, baby. Nothing is bigger than our God. Nothing is impossible for our God. He is greater. He's more powerful. He's bigger. He's able. Amen? Amen. How about stone number seven, Joshua 3.11? Keep your eyes forward. Look to the covenant. Keep it in view. You see, God told them, put that Ark of the Covenant, which represents his presence, in front of you about a half a mile. See, when we keep things in front of us and we elevate it to such a level that it can be seen, then we are able to follow it. So what are you elevating? What are you putting in front of your eyes? What are you seeing? What's before you? Is it the covenant? Is it the ark of the covenant? Is it the glory of God? Or is it your failure? Is it your pride? Is it things don't look like they need to? See, the presence wasn't leaving them. The presence was leading them. He wasn't getting so far out ahead of them that they couldn't follow it. He was just getting out ahead of them so that they could see it. Have you ever driven on the interstate? Now, see, I'm real funny about this. I don't like to be behind people. So I'm in the left lane a lot. So it's me that you're honking at or blinking your lights. I'm just telling you. But if you get behind a semi... I do not like not being able to see what's in front of that semi. So I'm going to do every maneuver I can to get around it. I'm going to be looking to see what's in front of me. I want to know. Listen, we ought to be that way with the glory of God. I don't care what giant is in front of you. I don't care what you're not seeing. God is there. He is able to make all grace abound towards you. He is able to make a way where there seems to be no way. Keep it in the forefront. Keep him first place. Keep him elevated and lifted high. I Listen, I, we have made him so common. We have made him so friendly. Yes, he's my best friend, but he is still God. He is still the almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the earth. That's who he is. He's not just some something that I worship when I come in and they play the song I like. He is God. He is God. Keep him elevated. Stone number eight, Joshua 3.17. Intercession is a privilege, but it's difficult. Those priests, listen, not only did they have to walk out where the water was flooded, but then they had to carry the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, the thing that was made of gold and wood, and it was heavy. And they had to carry it. And then... They didn't just carry it and stay there for 10 minutes. See, that's what we want to do. (laughs) We want to carry somebody's burden for 10 minutes. But what happens when it's 29 days? Do we stick with them? Do we keep interceding? 
Do we keep going to the Father for them? Do we stay in our place? Do we say, God, I know what you've promised. I know what you've said. I've got a cousin right now that is fighting esophageal cancer, but I am telling you on the back steps of my deck, the Lord spoke to me and he said, I will do a creative miracle in him and I will raise him up and he will be a living, breathing testimony of the goodness of God. And let me tell you something, Dustin's life doesn't look like that today, but I declare he is a living, breathing testimony of the power and the healing of God because God is doing a creative miracle in him and he will survive and he will raise all five of his children and he will see them married and he will see his grandchildren. Let me tell you something. I know what God said and I will not, I will not bow down. I will not shrink back. Listen, people, you better hold on to what God's told you. You better pray until you can't pray anymore. And you better pray in the spirit until you can't pray anymore. Because God has called you. He has told you, do not give up. Do not give in. Listen, I, I'm telling you, when I think about those priests, it's a privilege that they got to go first. It's a privilege that they got to see the waters part firsthand. They weren't in the back of the line. They were right up front. They got to see it. But they also had to hold on tight. Can you imagine what went through their mind? If that water comes, boys, we're gone. If that water comes back, you think God's going to hold it back? I wish these people would hurry up. <laughs> Honest to goodness, they can't get that cattle in line. <laughs> Seriously, these rocks hurt. See, they didn't get the rocks from the side. They got the rocks from where the priest stood. Right. It's tough stuff when you're going to intercede and you're going to believe God. But I'm going to tell you something, it's also glorious stuff because you get to see what God has done and you get to experience it firsthand. Ooh, that gets me going. Stone number nine, when you step into your position, you will see your miracle. Your miracle. But you got to step there. Imagine... Imagine being told to walk into the flooded water. Imagine it. Imagine if they had said no. What would have happened? But you're required to do something. <sighs> See, we have this easy believism. <sighs> it gets me every time. It, now, is it easy to believe God? Yes, it's easy to believe God. So I'll go if that's what you're going to call easy believism. But there are some things... <laughs> that we have to do. See, we want to possess the promise without ever doing anything to get it. We, we, we kind of feel entitled. See, well, God has covenant with us, so I'm entitled to everything that God has. Well, you are, but he also says that those who love me keep my commandments. He also said faith without works is dead. He also said... Uh, uh, never mind, never mind, never mind, never mind. You got to step into your position in order to, to possess your promise. You got to do it. They weren't adults when the Red Sea crossed. See, all, all Moses had to do was lift his arm. 
and the waters parted. It didn't require any work on their part. All they had to do was walk over on dry ground. How nice is that? Right? That's not the case here. They actually had to put their feet in flooded water. They had to do something. But when they did, they got their promise. Stone number 10 out of Joshua 3.2. You cannot go with God and stay where you are. When God moves, you got to move. When he says go, you got to go. When he says stay, you got to stay. When he says lift your hands, you got to lift your hands. I don't care how, how irrational that direction or instruction is. You got to do it. See, we all want to go with God, but we are too afraid to move. Well, what are they going to say? What are they going to think? I mean, seriously, Stephanie, it's never been done that way before. I mean, we have never, no, no, that will not work. They had to learn these things before Jericho. See, if they didn't learn these things before Jericho, Jericho wouldn't have happened. Because you've got, you've got to learn to go with God. When he says move, you move. See, the other generation, they knew that. Because the, the um, cloud and the fire, when it moved, they moved. See, this generation didn't know anything about that. So they had to learn how to move when God said move. And this time he wasn't giving them a sign. He was just speaking. How about when God just speaks and he doesn't confirm it 15 times? I'm just saying. How about it? How about stone 11? Joshua 4, 12 through 13. To get your miracle, get into your promised land, You've got to acknowledge other people's parts, the part that they play in your possession. You see, there were two tribes and a half that crossed over fully armed, ready to fight the minute that their feet hit the other side. They were ready. They had been given that instruction years ago. They had followed it out, and they were prepared. But so many times, we think we possess our promise without the help of anybody else. Who was taking care of the cattle? Who was helping the elderly? Who was helping the children? Who was carrying the provision? Who held the ark? Who was going to get the stones? Who was going to make dinner the next night? Who, who was going to do all that? See, we think we just crossed over. And we possess our promise. We better acknowledge that it takes an army. It takes all of us working in our calling, working in our gifts, working in the things that God has called us to do in order for us to possess what God has promised the entire group. See, he didn't just promise it to Ryan and Rebecca. He promised it to the awakening family. He didn't just promise it to Peter and Paul. He promised it to us as believers. See, there, we need to learn how to acknowledge other people's gifts and talents and the part that they play when we get to where we're going. Because so many times we get to where we're going and we forget everybody else because we've possessed it. We've arrived. What did it take to get there? 
We need to be asking ourselves, am I really acknowledging? Do I see the gifts in others? Do I see the, the gold in others? is how one writer puts it, that we need to dig that out and we need to acknowledge that and we need to know. The last stone, Joshua 4, 21 through 24. It says, then he spoke to the children of Israel saying, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, what are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before until we all crossed over. And all the people of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. We've got to rehearse the story. We've got to tell the old, old story of our Redeemer's love, of what God did for us and how he did it. Why? Because if you go over to Judges, I think it's the saddest scripture in all of the Bible. Judges chapter 2. Verse 10. That is scripture in, in, the, in all of scripture. It says, when all that generation, what generation? The generation that crossed over the Jordan. So that 2.5 million people, that generation that crossed over the Jordan, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers or died, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the word which work that he had done for Israel. You say, Stephanie, that it's impossible. It can't happen. My kids will always know. My kids will always know. Really? Is it a language or a lifestyle? See, if, if, if your topic of conversation around your dinner table every night is sports and the weather and school, you've got a problem. Yeah. I'm just going to be blunt. You've got a real problem. If you can't talk about the Lord and you can't share his miracles and you can't, I'm not saying you have to have a structured devotion. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying they ought to know that they can come to you and say, Mom, what about this? And you're going to take them to the word. And you're going to say to them, this is what the word says. See, because we have a generation that doesn't know. They don't know. They don't know the things of God. I would guess if you ask most children under 10, they don't know the story of Joshua and the Jordan. I guess that they may not even know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I would venture to say they may not know that Moses is the one who brought the Ten Commandments down Alpha Mount Sinai. You say, Stephanie, that can't happen. Oh, yes, it can. Yes, it can. You know how come? Because we don't open up our mouth. We don't share the good news of Jesus anymore. We don't share the power because it's not politically acceptable. I have news for you. Whether it's politically acceptable or not, Jesus still died. He still rose again. He still ascended into heaven, and he's still coming back. So whether it's popular or politically correct, I don't care. 
What I care is that Hannah and Audrey and Carson and Lincoln know that there's a God in heaven. That they know that God can save them and redeem them. That he can heal them and raise them up. And that what God has promised them, he will deliver. That's what I care about. You see, we're called living stones in 1 Peter. We're called to speak it. We're not called to just let it happen. We're called to speak it. How, how They overcame by the blood of the Lamb. We got that part. The word of our testimony. What is our testimony? What has God done for you? Ryan would get so sick and loving not our own selves to death. Let me not forget that part because everybody forgets that part. Because you see, we've become so self-absorbed that we cannot love somebody else's life more than ours. But he says that's the way you overcome. Ryan used to get so sick because I would tell him the stories of Jesus. And I'd say, son, I'm praying for you. You're coming out of this. Mom, I don't care. Mom, I don't want to hear it. I don't care. He'd come home. He'd find me on my knees in the living room praying because he was out drinking like a <laughs> sailor. Come home so drunk he couldn't even walk. He'd find me in the floor praying for him. Why? Because I know what God promised. I know when I was living on Warbler in front of my peach chair and I was crying out to God for my children, I know what God said about him. See, I got a word for myself. And he needed to know, you're called. You're marked. You might run, baby, but you will never hide. Because God knows exactly where you are. And you know what? He still knows where you are. Even though you're serving him, he knows where you are. We have to be living stones. We have to talk about it. We have to live it. It can't just, it cannot just be something of our history. It must be our current and our future. That is what God has called us to. That is where we are. What about the testimonies of your life? This morning, my mother has a caregiver that comes in the mornings and helps her get ready. And, and I'm so thankful that she's here today because she's been so very ill. And um, that caregiver was there. And Bill said, I don't know how the subject came up. I was in the back of the house. I don't know. And Bill says, oh, have Stephanie tell you about the Hindu temple. I said, what about the Hindu temple? He said, tell her. I said, well, I got a phone call one day. I was planning parties and weddings, and somebody called and wanted to host a party at the Hindu temple. You know we have one here in Louisville, right? You all know that? Out off of Westport Road. It's really big. They pay $50,000 a month to attend it. So, uh, you know, you think that when we ask for tithe and we talk about tithe that you should give? No, baby. They give $50,000 a month to go. Okay? So, sidetrack. Just pitching the tithe. Anyway, um, so he says, uh, he says, I need you to come out and look at it and tell me what we would do. I said, okay, fine. So Ryan was off school that day. So I made him go with me. Ryan was off school a lot. Anyway, just sidebar. So I go and uh, I get there. The lady at the desk, she's like, well, what are you here for? Oh, yeah, Dr. So-and-so, he left his wallet at home. He'll be back. I said, okay, fine. She said, you can wait. Just, you know. Okay, fine, except the priest came through with all of his little incense stuff. 
And he looked at her and he said, who is she? She said, well, she's here for Dr. So-and-so. What is she doing here? I looked at Ryan and I said, in the name of Jesus, this building will be, it will be used for the glory of God. That's what this building's going to be. And they're not going to come up against us. He said, mom, shut up. I said, oh, no, baby, this is a golden opportunity. He said, oh. So the man said, well, you tell her to wait in there. Okay, I can wait in there. Whatever part of the building you want me to go to, I am willing. You hear me? I'm willing. So the doctor comes. He walks me through. So we come back by the temple part, the sanctuary part. He says, that's our sanctuary. I said, oh, that looks very interesting. And he said, would you like to go in? I said, absolutely, I would like to go in. He said, well, hold on. He says to the priest, can she go in? Now, are you going to tell your member that pays you $50,000 a month that somebody that he's brought in can't go in? Probably not. So he says, fine, but she has to take off her shoes. I said, yes, 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 yes. I'm taking off my shoes. You know how come? Because every place that the sole of my foot touches can be mine for the glory of God. So I walk that sanctuary, if that's what you want to call it, and I prayed over it and I said, in the name of Jesus, you will be used for the glory of God. I don't know how long it will take. I don't care how long it takes, but this building will know the name of Jesus and the people that come to worship here will know the name of Jesus. So I had to go to my family doctor a couple weeks after that, who happens to be Hindu. But he knows me. I said, hey, I went out to your temple a few weeks ago. He said, what for? I said, oh, one of your doctors is having a party for their parents. I said, it was really an interesting place. Because he and I, we just talk, you know, we, we just talk. He said, they let you in? I said, oh, yeah. He said, all the way in? I said, oh, yeah. He said, what did you do? <laughs> I said, well, you know, Doc, it'll be a place that the Lord, that people know the Lord's name. Listen, you should be telling your kids these stories. I don't care if it's how God healed your back and you couldn't walk and go to work and God healed you. I don't care if it's that your voice. I knew a pastor's wife, honey, she would not have a voice that she'd get up to preach and that voice would come back. And when she sat back down, she had no voice. We know her by that. It's her testimony. We should be sharing with our children and our grandchildren and our neighbors the story of God. The good story. The good news. So today I want you to stand with me. Musicians, can I have somebody on the keyboard, please? Today I have a box of rocks. See, I told you I'm old school. I invite you to come and pray. I want to know what your stones are saying. Are they speaking? Are they alive? Are you telling your children? Are you ministering to them every day in your language and your lifestyle? I encourage you to ask yourself, am I a living stone? Am I something that's going to serve as a memorial 
to the goodness of God in the land of the living? Or have I just forgotten that it was my job? Not just my job, but my privilege to speak the name, to minister the name, to raise my children. See, every family was represented in those stones. So I invite you to come and get a stone and have your time with the Lord and have your time with your children. Tell them your testimony. Tell them what God has done. Let's pray. Father, today, you are such a great and an awesome God. So privileged, Lord, to know you. So privileged to be in covenant relationship with you. Father, help us not to forget what we learn during this time of transition. Help us not to forget that we are living stones with a message to tell. Father, may we share it with our children and our grandchildren. And the generations after that, may they know that we were your people and you were our God. And that you did great and mighty things. And most importantly, that you saved us. You redeemed us. And that you made a way where there seemed to be absolutely no way. Let us be memorial stones, God. Living stones. I invite you to come and have your time with the Lord and take your stone. Gather your children, your family with you. If your family's not here, we're all family. Grab the person sitting next to you. And come, grab a stone. I believe in reminders. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast from Awakening Church. You can find us online at awakeningky.com.